Welcome to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. These are honest conversations with people of all walks of life reflecting on their own bootability, what it looks like, how it feels, and how the philosophy of SGI Nichiren Buddhism, which is based on the practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, can be used to bring it out. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Our guest today is Angelica Ross, the incredible trans rights activist, actress, who you might recognize from Pose, and the founder of Trans Tech Social Enterprises, an incubator for LGBTQ talent with a focus on economically empowering transgender people through professional development training. Last week, she joined us on Instagram Live for Buddhability's launch, sharing so much about her 10-year journey with Buddhism, what drives her work in the world, and how she got to pose. That's on the site if you want to see the video. But today on the podcast, we're getting a little bit more intimate and talking about an aspect of her life that was the toughest to change, her relationship with her mom. There was a time where I thought that it would be impossible for me to have my parents in my life, have family in my life, have a relationship with my mother um, that was healthy. When I began practicing, I was like hit with immediate sort of benefit. You know, I had these these small benefits. I got the job I wanted at Apple and, I was in Los Angeles moving towards my dream of being an actor. That's, you know, finally I wanted to go after being an actor and just say, you know what, forget it. I can believe that a black trans woman can, will be an actor in Hollywood. I can believe that. And almost immediately, I remember two of my Buddhist friends came over to chant and I had just received word that my mom, uh, her health was failing and it was her, her thyroid and, and she could slip into a, a coma. And I just remember thinking I could care less if she lives or dies. And that was probably the most profound moment because I immediately, my Buddha nature that was that was blossoming said, well, that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you need to ad- address that. And I began to cry immediately because I thought, well, damn, I just got here. I just got to LA and found a place and found a job I'm close to my dream and you're telling me to go back and take care of my mother who doesn't even call me the right name and pronouns half the time, that doesn't respect where I'm coming from or understand yet who I am and where I'm coming from. Yes, she had grown a lot, but she still wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And there was something in me that was telling me that I needed to model for her the unconditional love that I did not receive, that I needed to pay the debt of gratitude that I owe to my parents. These are things that I learned through the practice 
of, of understanding how much gratitude that I owe to them just in, in birthing me into this space. And then the challenge, specific challenges that they brought that polished me into the person that I am, you know? So when I went home and took care of her, ugly things came up, arguments came up, but my life condition and the way that it boldly faced those moments was healing for both of us, for all parties that witnessed it. It was my Buddhahood and practice in practice, how I was showing up to the challenges. So much so that my mom, who slapped me in the head when I told her I was a Buddhist, was is was now like polishing my altar when I was away uh, out of the room and reminding me to chant. There were certain moments in our relationship that started to change, so much so that the real grievance in our relationship the biggest thing that I thought would never be overturned because it was such a grievance when I was 16 or 17 years old for her to tell me to kill myself. She told me either you kill yourself or I'm gonna kill myself because I cannot live with a child like you. To go from that moment to just last year or so and this is through really chanting for my family karma to change. Like, okay, if this is, if they're, okay, Gohansen, you really do all that? Okay, so I'm gonna put this in front of you. Let me see what you do with this, because my mom's a hard one. To then having this moment where we're both standing on the stage on Oprah Winfrey's network, and my mom is admitting that she told me to kill myself and talking about how much regret she has for how much she's missed out of my life and my development, as well as how much she would have regretted had I succeeded in committing suicide, mm -hmm. how much my life would not have affected the world. And in having that healing moment on stage for her to admit that, to say that she didn't know any better because of her religious foundation taught her otherwise was a moment that rippled over airwaves that I'm still hearing about, about families healing from. So this is a moment that so for me reflects why we practice for ourselves and for others. Because this healing was not just for me. It was for so many people who have had this strenuous relationship with their parents who could not see them because they were out of context for their parents' expectations. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Just one follow-up because I'm, I'm thinking from the perspective of, you know, someone who is just desperate to have this kind of a breakthrough. What did chanting allow you to bring out of your own life? Because I imagine you're carrying so much anger and so much hurt and so many other things, and yet you still went home. So could you just share, like, like sitting down and chanting, kind of what came out of your life in those difficult moments that helped you do what you did? I, I think I was reading certain books at the time that just had to also deal with not being a victim or having sort of like a victim mentality about my life and circumstances. And um, then realizing I had a tool in chanting to 
actualize my understanding of how no matter what my mom did or didn't do or what they are or are not doing for me now or what the world is or isn't doing for me now, that everything I see has a reflection for me. And I can spend my time focusing on those things that are outside of myself and outside my control. Or I can look and focus on those things that are reflecting to me what my part is in the situation, where my humanity can be increased, where my understanding can be increased, where my courage can be increased. This practice has given me so much and I knew that I had to give so much in return in ways where as a black person, my black community, when they watch like uh, the movie, What's Love Got To Do With It with Tina Turner, you know, it's a movie that um, so many people have seen. Uh, and for so many people still in the black community, the Buddhist portion of it just goes right over their head. It just, it's just like, it's just something that happens in the movie and they just see it as something that happens. Mm. And someone who comes from such a place of being broken down and distracted and disempowered and feeling out of context, when this practice and tool gave me context for who I was and my spiritual being and, and power, it was like a lightning rod. And so those ways in which you saw Tina Turner, Angela Bassett playing her kind of like a lightning rod coming to her purpose and become more focused um, and be able to fight against the abuse and the you know powers that be in her life to become the power and the force globally that she is. Um, that's how I saw that for me. So for me, it brought out of me a capacity that was greater than I even knew I had access to. I didn't know I could forgive my mother like that. Mm. If you told me back then that that was the way it was gonna go down, I probably would have said you're nuts. But to experience it and to have been conditioned for it like the chanting has conditioned my life condition to be at a place where it can withstand other people's perceived pain. I don't have to perceive their pain the same way that they do. I can see it as the lesson, as the obstacle, as the whatever that it is, and be the bring my Buddhahood into these spaces to also sometimes bring them out of that mm -hmm. as well. It is an immense responsibility, I will say, because everybody deserves peace. Everybody deserves these moments to just be. But we do still have to understand, I believe, that like life, 
peace is something that is we we have to be vigilant in working for and creating ourselves we have to be these agents of creating peace and so yeah this this practice has given me the ability to create peace wherever i am and wherever i go wow that's so so well said yeah thank you so much for sharing that i know it's just such a deep personal thing but so it's it's a you know it's so deep and so many layers and so even as you're hearing it and listening to it you're being blessed by it because you're recalling the process because you don't often recall all the process you know I'm, 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 I'm I have a writing room that I do um because I have a development deal for to create content in Hollywood you know my dream is getting that big and as I recall the process, um, there there are just moments where I'm beside myself because the lessons are so profound in a way that I've shared it when I, when I share the practice. I'm someone that shares the practice a lot. But in ways that I don't know if people know I'm doing it or if I know I'm doing it, I'm just speaking from my Buddhahood and Buddha nature in a way that I've, I was on a podcast interview one, uh, before and I, I, I spoke about the fact that one thing that my, my Christian upbringing sort of has kind of contextualized for now my Buddhahood is that in Christianity, they would have, you know, the book of John and the book of Job and the book of what have you. And I was telling people that I was talking to, you know, there's the book of Corey and the book of Angelica, you know, and the book of, you know, Amelia and Michael and, you know, and there's, there's these different books. And if we were, if we really paid attention to the divine power that's working in all of us that we all have access to, um, that there is a lesson to be learned in how we all come to and face the challenges in our lives and how we overcome them, how we vow to not be undone by them, but to overcome them, to not just survive our situations, but to stand on top of them and thrive, like, and, and to encourage each other to do that. Um, that's a synergy that I um, really think is profound about this practice because that's what it's all about is getting people to recognize the value in their own stories unfolding and blossoming just like that lotus flower. It is for you to go through all of that murky and unclear clear situations to still come out of it smiling the way that you do and having the fragrance around your life that you mm -hmm. do. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, This leads actually into my next question, which um, kind of like what you said right when we were starting, you know, that you're chanting to really expand your life and your capacity. Um, you're involved in so many projects. You've accomplished so much. And day by day, I feel like you're a role model for more and more and more young people. Um, so I'm curious, how do you use your practice to summon the courage and wisdom to navigate each project and each relationship in your life when you have so much? That's whew, a great question. So I look at the practice, just as we've been told, you know, that we're chanting to a mirror. 
and that it gives us this clarity around our life condition. I feel that when we practice and have that level of clarity about ourselves, when we walk out into the world, into our environment, we become these mirrors that reflect to other people um, something more true. Not us getting wrapped up in their circumstances and validating the business of all of that, but literally being able to reflect to other people uh, clarity. And so what happens is the more I practice, the more I'm clear about the relationships that I'm getting in. Um, whether they are presenting to me themselves or their representative, you know, who's only going to tell me the best of who they are and not share with me all of the things. But I am in tuned enough to understand, even if someone is hiding parts of themselves, that the discovery and the dialogue um, are worth the exploration um, because because I'm bringing my Buddhahood to the table. Mm. That's what makes it valuable is that because I'm bringing this lens now to this table that will change the way everybody works in this situation now. And so it's, it hasn't been easy. It's been extremely difficult in my relationships and my professional relationships because there's a level of not being authentic that uh, thrives in Hollywood, you know? Um, and when I am someone who is calling for profound storytelling, storytelling that inspires people who are even at the most marginalized or unglamorous places in life, that they are inspired by the momentum of choice, the momentum of them saying, I have the audacity to believe that coming from where I come from and being born into what I was born into, that I can become something else or something of my greatest imagination. So for me, this has done nothing but even help me in my dating space. Cause I, 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 you know, I know that's been the hardest space, I will say, for me. I've, I've, I've manifested everything. I've chanted for everything, but the kind of the relationship that I want. And, and maybe I'm there, I think, because I am experiencing the things that I want. But that's what's happening is that I'm using this reflection to help me stay honest in all my relationships, no matter how hard it gets no matter if that sometimes means risking those relationships. I'd rather risk a relationship with my truth than to keep relationships and be dishonest and not uh, live up to my full potential mm -hmm. because of a relationship that I desire. Yeah, wow, that is very evolved of you because <laughs> that's really the arena where so many people struggle so much in the most intimate relationships of all. Um, so I, I'm curious, just because you brought it up, like 
in a sentence, how would you describe the practice of Nichiren Buddhism um, to someone who has no idea how it works? And kind of going off what you're saying, like you're you're still pursuing something now that you feel you, you have yet to manifest. So like, why chant about it? How does it work? I have come to know the practice of Nichiren Buddhism as a tool for you to manifest that self that you see, your highest self that you see. Um, and to have others be able to clearly see it too. That is the quickest way I know for you to get the world to see you as you see yourself. It is a process that is ongoing and reciprocal. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful to get the world to see you as you see yourself. And to get you to see yourself as the universe sees you. Just practically speaking then, like on a typical morning or evening, I know we chant twice a day. And um, again, for someone who's, who's totally new, like what is, what is your routine look like? Yeah, I, yes, I chant first thing in the morning. Um, and well, you know, I, I have the, I get up extremely early. I get up around 5.30 in the morning. So I allow space for that to look like me eating first, showering first, you know, chanting first, getting tea, what have you. But uh, before I get too far into my day, um, I chant first. And then um, I get into a lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom calls. Um, people's attitudes uh, and wishes and pushing me around and with, deliver this and I got to do so many things. And so on my best days, when I'm able to take a break to break my day up. So what happens is ideally my evening time chanting is for me to break up my day from work into going into the rest of my evening. The problem with that sometimes is that my work day goes well into my evenings. <laughs> um, and so I have to find a way to kind of uh, either do a, a, um, a re-up or literally do, you know, like sometimes I'm pushed because I'm pushed from schedule to schedule, do it at the end of my mm -hmm. day. But in the best sense of the word, um, if I start off by chanting, then everything that I go into into that day, I go into with clarity. But what happens is I'm met with so many different people and their personalities and their attitudes and that can get on you like a smog, you know? And, and sometimes I wanna snap at somebody because they everybody's been snapping all day, you know? Um, and so I need to sort of like chant to redust off the mirror and uh, that energy and get all that stuff off of me. Sometimes that is in listening. What I end up doing is listening to, um, like I, I listen to Unlocking the Mysteries of Birth and Death, you know, so I have that on audio uh, book. And so I listen to that throughout the day or I listen to my dear friends in America and I've heard them a gazillion times. <laughs> but I'm able to just at least hit play and have it bring me into a space 
that brings me back or reminds me of my Buddhahood when going into these spaces. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Sounds tough. I know I want to be mindful of your time. So maybe a final question um, before we close, which is what's your dream for like, what do you want to see happen in the rest of the 21st century? It's so it's not lost on me that my dream looks so much like um, Suna Saburo Makaguchi. You know, um, when I look at this black and white video um, and hear, you know, the voiceover talking about this space where all children, you know, understand their value and their contribution to the world. Um, that education is seen differently and not in this way that is meant to give you the blueprint of succeeding in a white supremacist world where those are the boundaries and, and um, guidelines that everybody plays by, but that you learn something so much more powerful about yourself that the more unique you are and your uniqueness and learning, the more you have a master's class in the creativity of your soul and spirit, um, regardless of gender, regardless of ability and, and, and race and ethnicity and all these other intersections, but also informed and imbued and empowered by those intersections. I, I want to see a world in which I have helped create more space for that kind of blossoming. And I, I know that I'm doing that with my nonprofit, TransTech, that helps the most marginalized folks access technology. Um, we're, we have a tech summit coming up November 14th and 15th um, that's going to be worldwide. And so we're connecting folks. And the reason I'm doing this is because I know that folks are struggling worldwide and uh, to 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 access resources and support and and be able to access employment but i know through that through providing these resources and connecting community not only am i fulfilling my mission but people will hear the story and uh, this is one thing that i learned in reading uh, the heart of the lotus sutra um, because I had such a interesting, difficult relationship with the word celebrity, I felt like certain people were even throwing that word at me sometimes like a four letter word, um, ignoring some of the activism and work that I've done. And now I'm just a celebrity. Mm -hmm. But realizing that I am a celebrity in a real sense, in some various, various senses, and when I meet people sometimes, people sometimes start crying in front of me and doing all, there's just a lot of different things that happen. And I know that that's not because I'm on TV. Mm. I know that I am a celeb, whether they know even know what the mystic law is yet, they don't even need to know what it is to benefit from the, the knowledge of knowing that I am a celebrity to them because I am yet another example of how life can do miraculous things once you recognize the value in your own life and you stop begrudging your own life. And as a black trans woman who is considered to be the lowest on the totem pole in various places of society, 
that I have now become celebrated, known far and wide as someone who has overcome the most daunting of challenges. And you're going to continue to hear the echo of people who don't know yet of how, why. And as soon as they Google or do certain interviews, almost every interview you, you Google, I'm talking about how my Buddhist practice has brought me through. Incredible. Yeah, I remember reading your Zora interview recently and you shared how Buddhism is the center of your life. I was, yeah, I'm so encouraged hearing everything you're saying. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's, it's honestly something that I am, I am, I'm understanding now, um, again, from coming from a place of begrudging my life. Uh, Nichiren Buddhism has given me the opportunity to reverse that entire perspective in a way that I understand that not only has life been gifted to me, but that I am then meant to be that gift to the environment I'm born into. Like, it's a, it's a reciprocal sort of, of experience, practicing for yourself and for others. For more from Angelica, visit bootability.org. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about how to chant, check out the practice section on the website and use the connect form on the site to get in touch with your local community group. Next week, we're going to be talking with psychologist Sean Grover about what happiness actually is and what the difference between positive thinking and inner transformation is. That's it for today, and we'll see you next week.